Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, and I hope that you do, would you turn with me to Psalm 100 this morning? As you're turning there, let me just say it is a tremendous honor, just a great joy to get to worship the Lord with you today and get to be here with you and open up the Word of Truth. Uh, I'm very grateful for your elders, so thankful to the Lord for Josh and how the Lord brought us together so many years ago, and that friendship has continued. Josh, I know how stingy you are with those five stars, so that they might not realize how big a compliment that is, but I really take to heart what you said. Thank you so much for your kind words. Um, it's been a few years since my family's been with you, but I'll tell you, we have looked forward to today for a long time, getting to worship with you again. Uh, I often tell people, if I wasn't at Christ Fellowship Church, uh, my family would probably be at Meridian. Because we love your church and are very thankful to the Lord for uh, your church. Uh, Would you pray with me once more? Father, you are good and you do good. Teach us your ways today. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word today. That you would open our eyes to see the beauty and greatness of Jesus in your word today. And Lord... As your word goes out, we pray that your spirit would take your truth and that you would accomplish your purposes in all of us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Psalm 100. This is a psalm for giving thanks. And the psalmist wrote, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In our household, as Josh said earlier, we have a nine-year-old daughter, a two-year-old daughter, and a five-month-old son. So it's rarely a dull moment in our house right now. But a lot of times I like to sit in our living room and read and I'll turn on some music. And what ends up happening is a dance party will break out in our living room. Our girls just like to start dancing around to the music. Um, I'm not a dancer. Um, I don't know if that's me being a preacher's kid growing up in a Southern Baptist household. And of course, you know, dancing is bad, you know, in that household. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm, even though I'm a musician, I struggle with rhythm some. I'm just not a dancer, but they sure love dancing. Um, but I got to admit, there is a dance that I often find to be intriguing. I, I find myself, whenever I see people do this dance, I'm amazed by it, and it's the waltz. The waltz is a very interesting dance. It's this dance that's done in a three-four time. One, two, three, one, two, three. And the two partners, they will gracefully together, they will have this rhythm as they go kind of back and forth, around and round and round and round and around the dance floor. And it's just, it's very interesting to watch because of how graceful it is. But there is definitely a rhythm to their movements that makes the waltz so beautiful. Well, this morning, I, I could say that we could, we could almost describe worship somewhat like a waltz. 
Now, of course, this isn't a perfect illustration, but, but there's definitely a rhythm to worship. Worship, it, it begins with God. God has initiated this dance, so to speak. He has graciously invited us to participate. It, it begins with God giving us His revelation. God has spoken. We, we would know nothing of God other than that there is a God. Based on his creation, that, that's pretty much all we would know. But God has spoken and he's revealed himself to us through his word. We can now know who this creator is. We can now know what he is like, what, what he is called, what is his name. We can know that because he has revealed it to us in his word. He's revealed his wonderful works to us. We can know more than just He created, but we know that He saves. As we just sung a moment ago, that He is the God who saves. And this is how He has done so. He has revealed how from eternity past He has elected a people, and how through the Son He has redeemed that people, and through His Spirit He has He keeps that people and seals them. We know that through His revelation. God has revealed Himself to us, and this leads to to the second movement, so to speak, which would be our response. Because God has revealed, there must be a response. In light of what God has spoken, where well, we respond in lifting our voices in praise to God. We respond in offering all of our lives as living sacrifices in worship to God. Revelation and response. Well, this morning, as we examine Psalm 100, this psalm flows very much like a waltz, having a rhythm of worship flowing throughout it. The movements going back and forth, revelation and response, revelation and response. Just as you'll see in a moment, it's, it's somewhat reversed where we'll have response revelation, but we'll get to that. But the psalms are such a wonderful place for us to go to help us understand what worship looks like. What, what is biblical worship? And... The Psalms are a great place to show us how to worship God rightly. Now, we don't know too much about Psalm 100. Uh, the placement of it is very interesting because it comes right after, obviously it comes right after Psalm 93 to 99. Um, thank you. That, that's my contribution to, to this. Um, but it almost serves as a doxological ending to the previous Psalms. Psalm 93 to 99 are psalms all about how the Lord is king. Now we should rejoice in the rule and reign of this great king. And then we get to Psalm 100 and we have this great call to come worship the king. Come and worship this great God. But as for background, really all we're giving in this, the subscript is it's a psalm for giving thanks. The, the psalm shows us what it looks like to give thanks to the Lord. To, to sing his praises for who he is and what he has done. But beyond that, we're not told who wrote the psalm. Not told really when it was written. But the author of the psalm is not really that important. The central focus of this psalm is the God who is to be praised. And so this morning, let's walk together through Psalm 100. And as we do, we're going to examine four movements in the rhythm of worship. And this psalm, it shows us that we are to come to worship God with great joy because of who He is, because of what He has done. And my hope is that as we examine this psalm together, you would see how true knowledge of God from His revelation, it overflows into joyful adoration and affection for God. 
In other words, to put it more simply, theology fuels doxology. So this morning, let's look at these four movements in the rhythm of worship that we see here in Psalm 100. So movement number one, we are called to joyfully worship the Lord. Here in these first two verses, we see this call to come and worship Yahweh, and it begins with three imperatives, three commands for us. The first one is that we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, this isn't just noise. This isn't just chaotic noise. But rather, this is joyful, triumphant shouting to Yahweh. We're we're to do this with great joy. I like what Derek Kidner had to say. He said, this joyful noise is not the special contribution of the tone deaf. Now, I know a lot of times if we can't sing, we automatically go to make a joyful noise to the Lord, don't we? But listen to what he says. He says, but rather, this is the equivalent in worship to homage, the homage shout or fanfare to the king. When the king comes in, we rejoice and we make noise. Psalm 98 verses 4 through 6 instruct us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous psalm and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. The king comes in and we lift our voices joyfully. We get loud. I mean, think about it. When we get excited and we're rejoicing and we celebrate something, what happens? Do you not get loud? When you're at the football game and your team wins, do you get loud? But when you're at the concert and your favorite band walks out on the stage, is it just crickets? No, there's great cheering. There's fanfare. There's, There's triumphant shouting. I always think about whenever you're at the family gathering or you're at the party and that person that you haven't seen in so long walks in. What do you do? Hey, you're here! There's that shout, that joyful shout. We get loud. We, we cheer, shout. The psalmist is telling us, he's commanding us to give this joyful shout to the Lord. And who better to shout for than God? Now, the psalmist, he's not advocating for happy-go-lucky cheerleading for God. But he's calling us to give a triumphant shout to the Lord, the King. And you know what? One of the saddest sights to see is a church that doesn't joyfully worship the Lord. Now, I'm thankful to not be in one of those churches this morning. But, But sadly, there's so many churches across the land where They'll sing, but there's no joy. And when, when I was younger, a few, few years back, I was once asked to lead music for a winter Bible study at, at another local church. And every night we would gather and uh, I'd lead us in singing a few hymns and then afterwards we'd have our Bible study. And night after night, everyone looked so miserable. And finally, at one point, I couldn't take it anymore. I stopped playing the guitar and I told them, you look like you have, it looks like you've died and you don't have the good grace to lie down. Now today, I wouldn't say that the same way. I would say it much kinder and much nicer, but it was so sad to see they're singing all these great truths about God and the glories of the gospel and they look, they look like they're being tortured. That's not how it's supposed to be. 
Whenever, whenever we come to worship the Lord, there should be great joy. We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. When God's people worship Him, they should do so with great joy. In fact, joyless worship doesn't make any sense. Joyless worship is a clear indication that we have forgotten the truth about who God is. We've forgotten the wonders of His, his awesome works. Because when we go to the fount of never-ending joy, the natural result is we're going to be filled with joy. In fact, isn't that what David says in Psalm 16? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. That your right hand pleasures evermore. One of the fruits of being in Christ, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Our God is a joyful God and His people are to be a people of joy. As we come before Him, there's going to be joy involved. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. And the psalmist, as he gives this call to worship, it's not just a, a specific call to the people of God, which yes, the people of God should be leading in this. But the call goes out, as you see, to all of the earth. All of the earth, all of humanity, raise your voice to the Lord. It doesn't matter who, doesn't matter where, everyone's called to do this. Everyone is called to, to shout to the Lord, to make a joyful noise to Him. So we are to joyfully make a joyful noise to the Lord. But also we see here that, secondly, we are to serve the Lord gladly. We're to serve Him with gladness. Yahweh, is, He's our Lord and our King. And he is to be served. And what a great, what a comforting truth it is to know this morning that, that God is not like man. He, he's not like us. He is a good king. He, he is righteous and just. He does not use his rule and reign unjustly. He is not harsh. He does not oppress his people. He is loving and kind. It is a joy to have Yahweh as your king. And it is a joy to serve Him. And we're to serve Him with gladness. And here in the context of this verse, this word serve could also be translated as worship. So, so it's as if he's saying, worship the Lord with gladness. Or serve the, worship the Lord through serving Him with gladness. It, all of our lives should be one continual act of worship to the Lord. In fact, isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? After writing 11 chapters about the glories of the gospel, he finally shows us how we should respond to the gospel as he gets into chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in light of God's mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. In light of the gospel, lay your life on the altar. In light of the mercies of God, Live every moment of your life in praise to God. To honor and worship Him. This means that your work Monday morning should be as much an act of worship as your singing here today is. That your both Monday morning, Monday morning work and Sunday morning singing should be done with the same joy and gladness. Now I know some of us use the excuse we haven't had our coffee yet, but that's no excuse here. It should still be done with joy and gladness. Serve the Lord. Worship Him with gladness. 
few years ago, I was a music and youth minister over in Hilton, just about 30 minutes from here. Uh, yeah, there we go, that way, thank you. Yeah, about 30 minutes from here, and one morning, my pastor, he came into my office, and he said something to me that I will never forget. This is one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard in, in ministry. Came in, he sat down in my office, and he goes, Philip, today we get to serve God. And he had the biggest smile on his face. And ever since then, that, that stuck with me. We get to serve God. We get this tremendous joy and honor of serving the king of the universe. So tomorrow morning, when you get up to go to work, remember, you get to serve God. You get this tremendous privilege and honor. As I get up to serve coffee to people tomorrow morning, I'm going to remind myself, I get to serve God today. Rejoice and be glad as you worship the Lord through serving and work as unto the Lord. The third Third command we see here is to come into his presence with singing. Some even translate this, they use that word joyful again and translate it as come into his presence with joyful singing. The Christian faith is a singing faith. Our God, he's a singing God. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that the Lord rejoices over us and he does so with loud singing. Our God's a singing God and his people are to be a singing people. In fact, in Scripture, we're given over around 50 direct commands to sing. We're commanded to sing. In fact, Psalm 47, um, I believe it's verse 8. Psalm 47, verse 8 tells us to, to sing, I'm sorry, 6 and 7, tells us to sing praises to our God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Casey didn't get it. He wanted to repeat it over and over again. Sing, sing, sing. We're commanded to sing to the Lord. But we're not just commanded compelled to sing. How can we hold back the song in light of who this God is, in light of what he has done for us? We can't help it. Our God is so magnificent. His gospel so glorious that we can't help but to sing. John Piper said, singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. Jonathan Edwards wrote, The duty of singing praises to God has been given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There's no other reason why we should express ourselves in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things tend to move our affections. We're to come before the Lord with singing. And not not unemotional repeating the words on the screen. Not mumbling the words out of the hymn book. But it's to be joyful singing. Singing that's full of joy. So this morning, hear the call to worship from these verses. Come before the Lord, lifting your voice, singing and serving Him with great joy and gladness. Charles Spurgeon said, our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. Hear the call to come and worship with joy this morning. So that's our first movement we see. But then we come into another movement in the rhythm here. 
As we get into movement number two, it's the reason for this joyful worship. And we see this in verse three. So verse one and two, we are called to worship. Verse three gives us the cause, the reason why we are to joyfully worship. Our joyful worship is driven and fueled by the knowledge of God. Now today, there are a lot of so-called, there's a lot of so-called worship music out there. Um, Sometimes if I need to raise my blood pressure, I'll turn on the Christian radio station and things. My wife doesn't let me do that very often. Um, There's a lot of so-called worship music out there that sounds really inspiring, has great music set to it, but it's all driven by emotions. And so much heresy fills churches today through the songs that they sing. A biblical scholar Gordon Fee once said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. And sadly, so many churches are believing wrong things about God because they are singing them to catchy tunes on Sunday mornings. We must be discerning about what we sing, making sure that we are singing biblically sound, theologically rich songs and truths about God. It's just another reason why I'm so thankful for your elders, so thankful for Chris, that that there are other churches out there that are discerning of these things, that are careful about what we sing. Because what we sing matters. And too often, emotion is the driving force behind a song rather than the theology. Now don't get me wrong here, there is definitely emotions involved in worship. In fact, the Psalms are flooded with emotions. Read all throughout the book of Psalms and you will find just about every emotion there is in this book. In fact, Calvin even referred to the Psalms as uh, all parts of the anatomy of the soul. Read through the Psalms and you will find just about every emotion. We have emotions as we worship. But worship is not to be singularly emotion-driven. Biblical worship is fueled by right knowledge of God. And our emotions are informed and shaped by the truth of God's Word. So the psalmist, he can rejoice and serve the Lord with gladness because what he knows to be true about God. It's it's truth and emotions. They go together in worship. They, They go hand in hand here. You cannot worship God emotionless. But at the same time, you can't worship God rightly without truth. They go together. Truth and emotions. And here we see, after the psalmist has given this call to worship God joyfully, he tells us why. And look here in verse 3. We must know that the Lord is God. This, This is the fuel. This is the gasoline on the fires of worship. We must know who God is. The psalmist tells us, know that the Lord, He is God. Yahweh is Elohim. He is the one true living God. He is holy, righteous, and just, and there is none like Him. He is infinitely greater than we could ever imagine. I like what Matthew Barrett wrote about God. He said, God is so great that He defies comprehensibility. In other words, God, he's so great that we can't, he's so great and awesome that we can't fully comprehend him. Not even close. But Barrett goes on to write, God may be incomprehensible, 
but he is not unknowable. Oh, man, what a great truth this morning. Our God, he is so great that we can't fully, we can't fully grasp him, but we can know him. This God has revealed himself to us. This is cause for rejoicing. This is cause for worship. Know that the Lord, he is God. But not only that, know who he is as God. He is creator God. It is he who made us, is what the psalmist says. And some translations even go on to say, is he who made us and not we ourselves. We... We didn't cause us to exist. We're not the result of a cosmic accident. We have a creator. And it is the Lord. In fact, Isaiah 64 verse 8 sums it up like this. It says, but, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. He created us. He sustains us. He's... He's the one keeping your heart beating right now. He's telling it, beat, beat, beat. And whenever he tells it to stop, it will stop beating. He created us. He sustains us. And our holy, righteous creator, he is worthy of all praise. In fact, Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 tells us, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed And we're created. We praise the Lord because he is our creator. The creator of all things. But not only that. Know that he is redeemer God as well. He's our creator. Also our redeemer. It says here that we are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. The universe and everything in it belongs to the Lord. He created it. He owns it. It's not one as... as, Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch in all creation which there is in Christ. He doesn't own and doesn't cry mine. He owns it all. But he doesn't just own everything. Believers, we are his special possession as well. We are his. Isn't that what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2? He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. What greater joy can we get than knowing that we belong to the Lord? The Lord, he's not only created us, but he has shown us great mercy and he has redeemed us through the finished work of Christ. So remember, remember who we once were. We were once far from God, living in rebellion running as far and as fast away from God as possible. But while we were still sinners, still his enemies, God loved us and put his love on display for us by sending Christ to come to this earth and to fulfill the law that we have rejected and broken and rebelled against. Christ fulfilled the law. And he... And he laid down his life as our substitute, bearing the full wrath of God that was rightfully ours for all eternity. He bore it on that tree so that now, through faith in him, there's no condemnation left for us. Now, we're no longer far from God, but now we've been brought near to God. Now, we are no longer not a people 
We are now His people. We were, we're no longer rebels. We are now sons. He's, he's redeemed us. We are now His sheep. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And if you are a Christian, you're one of Christ's sheep. He laid down his life for you. He's redeemed you through his substitutionary death in your place. And he has called you to himself. So that now you're one of the sheep of his pasture. This is reason for great rejoicing. So we must know that the Lord, He is God. He's Creator God. He is Redeemer God. And if you are in Christ, then you know this great God personally. I mean, how does that not put a smile on your face? I mean, how, how does that not cause a person to sing with great joy? Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. I, I often tell people, Whenever I meet someone that calls himself a Christian and they're much older and have known Christ longer than I have, I always say that that person should be way more joyful than I am. In fact, I, I argue that old Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet because they've known Jesus longer than I have. I mean, just knowing this great God and being His should fill us with great joy. This is reason to worship the Lord with great joy and gladness. Because of who he is. Because of what he has done. So we, we've got these, these movements happening. This call to come and worship the Lord with great joy. And the reason we do so. Well now we, we come back to a third movement in this psalm. As we get into verse 4. We have another call to worship. But this time it's a call for corporate worship. The psalm began with a very general call. For all of the earth to come and make a joyful noise. But now the call is much more specific. This is a call for God's people to come before him with thanksgiving and praise. And, and once again, we're given three imperatives to, to, to this call to help us. The, the first call that we see, the first imperative is that we're to enter his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Now the psalmist, as he's writing this, he's writing... In a different time, he's not writing in the year 2020. He's not writing as an American like we are. He's writing in a different culture, in a different time. He, he's writing among Israelites. At a time whenever you go to worship, you don't come to a church like Meridian Church. You go to the temple to worship. And so as he's writing, enter his presence with thanksgiving, his courts with Praise his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. He's referring to the area inside the entry place of the temple, inside the gates and the courts where the place where worship took place. This is clearly a call for corporate worship among God's people to come to the sanctuary of the Lord and give thanks and praise to him. But as they get in the gates and in the courts, for so many, that's as close as they could come. The priests could go a little bit farther. But only the high priest once a year could get into the Holy of Holies. Because of sin, nobody could, could go directly into God's presence. God's presence is dangerous and deadly for sinners. And the only way that you can enter into God's presence is through a mediator. 
Nobody comes to God except through Jesus. And when Jesus was crucified and he cried out, it is finished. You read that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn top to bottom. Like someone would shred a piece of paper. Symbolizing that now there is access to God through Christ. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 10. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now we can enter into God's presence. We have access to God through Christ. We can draw near through Jesus. And 1 Peter 2, 5 tells us that Jesus now makes our spiritual sacrifices. He makes our worship acceptable to God. So in Christ, we can now come into His presence and we can worship the Lord with thanksgiving and praise. And this leads us into these next two imperatives. We're called to give thanks to Him. In light of what the Lord has done for us, how can we not be thankful? We, when we are forgetful and we're not remembering, we're not reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, we become unthankful people. And unthankful believers are clearly forgetful believers. For we have so much to be thankful for in the Lord. Thomas Watson said, every breath you draw, you suck in mercy. Every breath gives you a reason to thank the Lord. I can't help but think every Sunday, I shouldn't be here today. As I worship the Lord with His people, I just think, I should be in hell right now. I shouldn't be here. Every breath we we breathe, we suck in mercy. We have reason to be thankful to the Lord. So enter His his gates with thanksgiving. And the call to worship, we we read from Colossians 3. And Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But then he goes on to say, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, I love these two verses because they show us corporate worship. They show us everyday worship, all of life worship. They go together. As we glorify God in song together, we are edifying the body of Christ. We're teaching and admonishing one another. This morning, you weren't just singing praises to God as you were singing this morning. You were encouraging the body of Christ around you. You were reminding each other the truths of the gospel together. And as we do this, we're to do it in all wisdom with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We do this together. We we sing with thankfulness together. But as That's corporate worship, but then as we do everything to glorify God, as we leave this place in a moment, we're to do everything to the glory of God. And we're to do so, as we do so, we give thanks to God through Christ. So in our corporate worship, 
Our hearts are filled with thankfulness. In everything that we do, we're giving thanks to God. Christian worship, it's filled with thankfulness. It's overflowing with thankfulness. We're to give thanks to Him. But not only that, we are to, we're to bless His name. Now, this word bless, it could easily be translated as praise. We praise His name. And His name speaks of His character. In other words, we're to praise Him for who He is. For who He has revealed Himself to be throughout His, throughout his Word, through His wonderful works. Once again, Spurgeon wrote, He blessed you, bless Him in return. Bless His name, His character, His person. Whatever He does, be sure that you bless Him for it. Bless Him when He takes away, as well as when He gives. Bless Him as long as you live. Under all circumstances, bless Him in all of His attributes. From whatever point of view you consider Him. Bless Him. Praise His name. So, once again, hear the call to worship. Join together with the blood-bought children of God and come before Him to thank Him and to praise Him for who He is and what He has done. Are you seeing the movements here? Revelation, response. It's very graceful, isn't it? Call to worship, and then we're told, here's why. Let's move into the final movement of this psalm. Movement number four gives us the reason we worship corporately. Verse five gives us the cause for why we worship the Lord together. We worship the Lord with thanksgiving and praise His name because of who He is. I was trying to explain to, um, to my daughter the other day about just this one verse that, that we could spend all eternity just thinking about this one verse. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. One commentator kind of broke this down and gave a little outline and pointed out three things in this, this one verse. He says, in this verse you have the inexhaustible fount, the goodness of God. In this verse you have the ever-flowing stream, the mercy of God. And then you have the fathomless ocean, the truth of God. In this one verse, we behold the depths of God. What's great is even as we think about it and ponder about, about God in all of these different ways, we never reach the bottom. We never will. We behold this great God and His never-ending, inexhaustible attributes of goodness and mercy and faithfulness. And it should cause us to come into His presence with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. It should cause us to give thanks and to praise His name because He's good. Because He's so merciful and loving towards us because He's ever faithful and true. I mean, just think about, just think about these things with me for a moment. That the Lord is good he is good. He does good. He loves what is good. To say that God is good is to say that He is the standard of what goodness is. He is the source of all good. And not only that, he, we're told in Romans 8 that 
that everything he does, he's at work for the good of his people who he loves, who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And God's goodness is put on display through his mercy and grace and his patience towards unworthy, undeserving people like us. But not only that, he displays his goodness also in his, his righteousness and in his justice and wrath. He's a good, righteous judge that, that does what is right always. He carries out justice upon the wicked. And for that, he is good. The Lord is good. Therefore, we should praise him for his goodness. We should thank him. Praise his name. But also we see that his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. His covenantal love for his people never comes to an end. He's faithful and true to his covenant with his people. And what an encouraging word for us this morning. Though we are often faithless and we do not love God as we ought to. He never stops loving us. The sinful things that we do do not diminish his love towards us. His love doesn't waver. In Christ, there is nothing that will cause God to love us any more or any less than he already does. There's nothing that will ever cause him to stop loving us. You will never wake up one morning to find out that God has quit loving you. Or that he has changed his mind about you. Lamentations 3 tells us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So maybe you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you're struggling with sin right now. Maybe you've You've been struggling for a while and you come here this morning and you're on, you're on the verge of despair. You're fighting discouragement. Maybe you're starting to believe the lie that Satan whispers that you're, he's been whispering as you sin more and more. God doesn't, God doesn't really love you. How could God love a sinner like you? Maybe you've started to believe those lies. Well, this morning, let me encourage you to take heart. The steadfast love of the Lord it never ends. His love towards you, it, it hasn't stopped. His faithfulness towards you is stronger and deeper than your sin. I love how the hymn, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor, puts it. The third verse says, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor, through the floods of unbelief, hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor. Shall never be removed. Lift your eyes to the cross this morning. And see. Behold the steadfast love of the Lord towards his people. When you look to the cross. There is no denying that God loves you. That he loves his people with an everlasting love. A never ending love. This is cause for worship. This is cause for us to come with great thankfulness. This is cause for us to come and to praise His name. Because He is good. 
His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. It's never going to stop. This psalm, it's it's shown us these rhythms of worship. Revelation and response. Call to worship, cause for worship. Call to worship, cause for worship. This psalm gives us such a great picture of what it looks like to worship the Lord. We worship Him joyfully in light of His revelation. In light of His wonderful works and His magnificent character. The knowledge of this great God leads us to joyfully worship Him. So in light of this, this means that that we need to make sure that we have right theology. This this means that we need to make sure that we truly know the Lord, that we have right knowledge of the Lord from His Word. I mean, weak theology leads to wrong work. Wrong theology leads to wrong worship. We might try to worship God in ways that He is not prescribed if we don't have right theology. Weak theology might lead us to try to worship with little to no emotion. Or to go all the way on the other end of the spectrum and have all emotion and little to no theology. Therefore, we need to make sure that we have a high view of the Word of God. Taking God at His Word. Believing and believing His revelation of Himself. And not taking it lightly. We need to make sure we have right theology, but also we need to make sure that we are living in light of God's revealed truth. We live in light of what God has revealed because in light of what God's revealed to us, it it should be stirring us to joyful worship. The truths of God should move us to serve the Lord with gladness. The character of God should stir our affections for Him and cause us to praise His name. And fill us with thankfulness. We need to live in the word of God. I love, I'm sure you know it, the quote by Spurgeon. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Yes, read good theology books. Read the Puritans. The Lord has blessed his church with so many great books. But more than anything, live in the word of God. We are... We are such a forgetful people. We we are prone to forget what God has done. We're prone to forget how great God is. Therefore, we need to continually be coming back to the Word of God and being reminded of these glorious truths. We need to do, as Jerry Bridges wrote so often, we need to continually be preaching the gospel to ourselves daily and be reminding ourselves the truth of who God is and what He has done. And the result of doing that is going to be that we joyfully worship the Lord. So this morning, let me ask you, Christian, are you struggling with having joy as you worship? If so, let me encourage you to go to the fount of every blessing and see how He retunes your heart to sing His praise. Go back. To the, to the cross. Go back and remind yourself the gospel over and over again. Be filled with joy. This morning, maybe you're here and, 
and you don't know this great God personally. You're far from God and living in rebellion to Him. Let me encourage you today to turn from your sin and self and to look to Christ and live. To put your trust in Him alone to make you right with God. Apart from Jesus, you cannot enter His gates with thanksgiving and praise. You cannot come. But through Christ, you can. I encourage you today to trust in Jesus. Be forgiven of your sins. Martin Luther wrote of this psalm, Psalm 100. He said, this psalm is a prophecy concerning Christ. It calls all to rejoice, to triumph, and to give thanks. To enter His gates with thanksgiving in His courts and His sanctuary with praise. Because by the gospel and the preaching of the remission of sins, that kingdom of Christ is established and strengthened, which shall remain and stand forever. Church, we can enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise only through Jesus. And when we do, we cry out with great joy, Thank you, Lord. You are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your revelation. Apart from this grace, we would never know You personally. We would, we would not know such loving kindness. Thank You most of all for Jesus and His finished work. We come boldly to Your throne of grace with confidence because of Christ alone. Thank you so much for taking we who were your enemies and far from you and bringing us near through Christ. Oh Lord, please help us now to live in light of your revealed truth. Help us and cause us to worship you and serve you with great joy and gladness. And Lord, if we begin to lack joy, Lord, please Please keep redirecting us back to the truths of the gospel. Help us to reorient our gaze upon Christ and His glorious gospel. Lord, we love You. And we thank You and praise Your name. That You first loved us. Amen.